What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 72 of the Frameskip podcast. I am probably Austin Eller, and I'm joined <laughs> by George, no longer Cam Newton Loftus. You are somebody George. Loftus. How are you doing, George? <laughs> I'll just be George for a little bit. Sounds good. We're Sounds joined good. by I'm George. Good. He has no, no last name. That's right. Just the George. Uh, I'm good. Had some great baseball luck recently for right. my team. Um, right. Had some great football luck where we almost lost to the worst team in the NFL, <laughs> but then we didn't. It feels good, man. It feels good. Well, that's good. Well, the the Braves are playing right now and they're currently losing, so I'm I'm hoping that that changes. So we'll see how how that goes. We're also joined by Mr. Mr. Philadelphia himself, Elijah Steele. How's it going? It's going great. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still getting over. I'm probably Austin Eller. <laughs> Look, I, I was feeling chaotic when we started, so I, I wanted to throw something random Apparently. in Apparently. I was feeling chaotic. Have you guys ever rubbed your eyes so hard you like saw stars after? Yes. yes. Okay, yeah. I just did that, but I only rubbed one of my eyes at a time, so I was only seeing stars on like the right side of my reality. Didn't care for it very much, you guys. Not a fan. <laughs> oh, so, God. There's something I wanted to bring up last week that I never did. And you know the Resident Evil movies that are they're, they're just really bad? Yes. Yeah, the Mila Jovovich one. The first, yeah. one's, first one's watchable. So the first one is the only one that has an ending that pays off. The rest of them have endings that either just don't happen or the payoff dies within the first 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> second, is that why they're so bad? <laughs> second movie. Uh, she is gotten out of the facility by Carlos, Jill, and Angie. Third movie opens up with it's a wasteland. Angie and Jill are nowhere to be seen. Carlos is just in a desert somewhere. <laughs> Wait a sec. A sec. So they're still in the facility in the second movie, like the facility from the so first movie. She gets recaptured in the second movie after the helicopter crash. Sure. She was the only one they found yet. Carlos, Jill and Angie just walk right into this facility. Sorry, so, it's Jill, Jill Valentine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So who's Mila Jovovich if she's not Jill Valentine? She's Alice. She's an original character for the movies. Gotcha. Okay. So the third one ends with Alice finding all of her clones. And then the fourth one begins within 10 minutes. All the clones died. So that entire ending thing is set up. (laughs) Uh, The fourth one ends with all the helicopters and soldiers coming towards the ship and Jill's back. And she looks at the camera and says, you're in for the fight of your life. The fifth one opens up. The fight plays out in reverse during the opening credits. And then 15 seconds, like, the fight takes place 15 seconds long after the credits. And she's just, Alice wakes up in a different facility. That's over. That entire the, thing was over. The fight of your life in 15 seconds. <laughs> then the fifth one ends <laughs> with Leon and Ada and Alice. And they get taken back to D.C. where Wesker gives her powers back and says, we need help to save the rest of the planet. And then the sixth movie op- literally opens with... So in between last movie and this one, 
he didn't give me my powers back. It was just kidding, and he's still evil. So there was like, like there was like a title card. <laughs> no, she she actually says this. Oh no! <laughs> and also, the sixth movie completely takes away the history that's presented in the second movie. In the second movie, they get Angie, who the Red Queen is based on, and the creator helps them out of the city because they're helping get his daughter out. And then the sixth movie, it's like, so Dr. Isaacs killed the creator and uh, was watching over the daughter who the Red Queen is based on. We're like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. It's literally, those are the same characters from the second movie that are in a completely different scenario. Okay. Just checking. Elijah, I've never seen past the first movie, and you've just convinced me to never watch anything past the first movie. <laughs> I, I love those movies. They are terrible movies. The animated ones, watch all of them. They're oh, fantastic. yeah. The animated ones are good. I need to watch the new, uh, I guess it's not a movie, the new show on Netflix. Infinite still. Darkness. Yeah, it's four yeah. episodes. Yeah, it's, it's like the length of a movie, basically. Right. I need to watch that. Yeah, that was just on my mind all week. Two weeks now. What right, was more boys. frustrating? Oh, wait, hold on. Before we move on, uh, any of the Resident Evil walkbacks, any of the uh, the last Skywalker, the Rise of Skywalker, yeah, the Rise of Skywalker yeah. walkbacks, or what was that Twilight movie where like that entire battle happens and it's like twenty minutes okay. long? <laughs> Don't I, defend it. It's the fourth one, okay. and I love that oh my God. because it all ends with. Basically, it's like her fingers are on the person's head. It's like, this is what will happen if you do this. And they're like, oh, we don't want to do that. <laughs> Elijah, that's like, I'm like still, st- I never saw those movies until 2016, 2017. They were like all on Amazon. Uh, my partner and I streamed them all back to back to back on Thanksgiving. And that's like the angriest I've ever been at a movie in my entire life. The, f- the first one I will never forget. I went to see it at midnight with two friends. Oh, no. I didn't know what I was getting into. It was super snowy out. I was in my lowered eclipse, so it drove like crap to begin with. I fall asleep in the movie, and at one point I just wake up and I'm like, "Do I hear Muse?" As be a super massive <laughs> black hole was playing during the baseball scene, so I fell asleep for half the movie until the baseball scene. Sounds that- like that's the only good part of that movie is when Muse played. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, because Anna Kendrick is in it. So yeah, the first one's fine. All right, well, enough of that garbage. <laughs> we're here to talk about important <laughs> stuff. We're here to talk about more important garbage: video games. I know we've wrong. had a few big releases over the past week, so I'm sure we've got some some fun stuff to talk about. Elijah, kick us off. What have you been playing since last episode? So. There is one game I grabbed and I beat, which is Alan Wake Remastered. We all know I love Alan Wake as it is. Yeah, I f- think I actually re-fell in love with Alan Wake. Uh, one of the biggest things I can say is I did not expect the game to look this good. Because I know it is just a like remaster. It's not like a major upgrade or anything, but the visuals are vastly improved. and. Seth said a while ago he tried playing it, but it felt outdated. And when I played on 360, I kind of felt that too. 
playing it now, it did not feel that outdated. There were still some aspects such as the whole, you don't actually aim your gun. It just shoots somewhere in where the flashlight is. But it didn't feel bad, if that makes sense. Right. So you you played it on PS5, right? Correct. Did they make good use of the the dual sense like the triggers and stuff? Uh the triggers actually un- when you were first saying and I'm like, "Wait, what was the dual sense?" But then I remembered. Um the dual sense is integrated with like the flashlight and when you hit an enemy and the longer it's on the enemy before they like pop that you can shoot them the easier the trigger gets okay that's interesting it yeah it wasn't bad it wasn't like over the top where it's like oh man i i can't hardly press it but it was one of those like oh this is neat it it was just kind of there which was very nice but i played through the first of the dlcs so far i i love that game um i've played through both dlc before but i'll be playing through the other one this weekend it's it's such a good game great story going back and seeing all these references again now that i'm a lot more in the remedy shared universe um seeing all these different connections to the other games and i i'm just i've enjoyed my time with it immensely i uh, it is a 30 dollar game and i think it is more than worth that especially if you have never played alan wake this is a must play Honestly, like if you've never played Alan Wake and certainly if you've never played Control, like just play this game and then go play Control yeah. and play through the the whole game and the, the Alan Wake DLC because I think you're going to you're, you're probably going to want to do that before yeah. like maybe the next year or two, if I yeah. had to guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's my guess, too. Um, now what uh, what gun to both of your heads? What sequel do you think we're getting first? Control or Alan Wake? Oh, Alan Wake. Sequel Alan Wake, because we do we do know there's another control game in the works, but it is not a sequel. It is a four player co-op game. Yeah. Which that I'm also extremely excited for. Yeah, because if it's so it it wouldn't play like it, but if it's set up kind of like Left 4 Dead, where it's these different missions that you do, but like each one is around a different object of power. Right. I think that's an awesome idea. Yeah. No, I I absolutely love that idea. And like just even like the gameplay of control, I think would be so cool in that in that kind of situation uh, playing with other people. But no, certainly Alan Wake. I mean, without spoiling it, the the Alan Wake DLC in control is I mean, it's full on like there's a new game coming. (laughs) Yeah, it's just get get ready. Yeah. Yeah. So and the rumor has been for a while that that's the big game that Epic is publishing with them. Yeah, they earlier announced when they first teamed up with Epic that they had two things in uh, in creation. One was a smaller title, which, if I had to guess. Is Alan Wake Remastered and a bigger title, which I think is Alan Wake 2. Yep, that's just a guess. But yeah, I'm I'm. All in for whatever Remedy does. Remedy could do something that has nothing to do with Control or Alan Wake, but is still set in that universe. And I'll be like, I'm I'm in. Like, yep. Uh, one thing I do want to quick mention before I get to my other big game is I've been playing some more Death Stranding, and 
I stole one of the mule trucks. The mules are like this other group that basically tries to beat you up if you get near them. And I stole one of their trucks. And... The jocks of the world, I see. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And traversing is just so much easier because I'll just be like, oh, here's a section of road. Let me put a whole bunch of materials in the back of this truck and drive down the road until I get to where there's no road and start to build the next section of road. And, oh, man, I need to carry all this stuff. Let me just put it in the truck. <laughs> and it's making traversing and just doing orders so much easier. And I did not do this last time. And I regret everything. Because this it just makes the game so much nicer. But the other big one I've been playing, I know Austin has been playing too. So let's get into some Metroid Dread, shall we? Yeah. We all know I'm not the biggest Nintendo fan here. And I enjoy the Metroid series. I've only ever played Prime. And I played Super Metroid. And I think, if I remember correctly, some of the original Metroid. And that's as much as I got. But I always liked Samus as a character. I've always loved the design, the concept. Metroid Dread is amazing. It's so good. It plays it plays like you remember like the old like Super Metroid playing, but so much better than it. It's like if Super Metroid got a sequel, this is that's what this is. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And the level design is fantastic. There's only one time that I've like super got confused at like where to go. But other than that, it's always been just, what if I, oh, over here, okay. It, the game is so good. And one of the things, I, the design is fantastic. That's the biggest credit I can give to it. Actually, no, the second biggest. The biggest credit I can give to it is it now makes Samus feel like the badass bounty hunter she's always been. Uh, without spoilers. The way she, like, that cutscene after the first boss fight, like, yo. Yeah. That was awesome. And that stuff keeps happening, too, throughout the game. I mean, every boss fight, you get something like that where, again, without spoiling, it's just, like, she has so much confidence and, like, just, I guess, swagger, for, like, lack of a better word, where she's, like, walking up to these enemies and just, like, you know what? Screw you, buddy. And, she, you know, it's just a it's fun awesome it's, attitude and exactly what you said i mean she's exactly the badass finally that we've all always thought she's been and it, it finally portrays that and and for reference uh i haven't fought the second boss yet i still haven't gotten there i know austin has fought a couple he's much further than the, actually if i had to guess i'd think you're getting closer to the end yeah i'm near the end i think i've i've got maybe well I, time wise i think i have eight hours in the game and I know it's like about a nine, ten hour game, so I'm I'm getting there time wise. But I I want to say I might have one more power up, maybe two more. So and there's there's quite a bit. There's like almost fifteen, something like that. So there there's there's quite a bit to unlock. But yeah, I'm I'm getting really close to the end, and um, I'm not sure what I'm gonna do yet because I kind of want to do a 100% completion playthrough, but. I might do that like a second round. I might go back and play through it again and do that because usually 
in Metroid games, you get like a, a bonus scene or something at the end if you get mm-hmm. 100%. So I'm assuming it's the same way in this. Um, but no, I, I mean, I completely agree with everything you said. I, I think it's phenomenal. And this is coming from somebody. I, honestly, Elijah, I'm not too far off from you. I don't have much experience with Metroid. I, I played a lot of Super. I've never beaten it. I've played a little bit of one. I've never played Fusion, never played Zero Mission. And like, I probably played like half of Prime 1, and that's really it. So um, as far as Metroid games go, I mean, honestly, Metroid, of all the Nintendo franchises, is probably the one that I've dabbled in the least. And so, you know, for, for me, as somebody that's, that's kind of new to the series still and doesn't have much experience, I mean, this game honestly is a 10 out of 10 to me like it it is just fun like and it's hard it is which is surprising for a nintendo game it is surprisingly refreshing it's very that's that's how i know you haven't played a lot of metroid games because you're surprised that it's hard i know it's like with nintendo uh that you're like making that comment but man Um, Uh, (laughs) i think yeah uh, i didn't expect to say this i think this might be my favorite first party nintendo game on the switch yeah honestly it's up there for me i mean i i would put this at breath of the wild level which is obviously for me i would probably put it at breath my... of the wild level is so much better <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean for me at least yeah. breath of the wild is is one of my if not my favorite game of all time and like this this game to me is damn near perfect it really like, is. pretty it's pretty funny like just I haven't grabbed it yet. I really like Metroid as a series. I don't really care for the the 2D ones. And it's funny because like I think I have the most Metroid experience of anyone here. Like played and beat one and or Metroid Prime, Metroid Prime 2. And that's why like I just love like the 3D Metroid games. Hunt or the Metroid Prime 3, I got so annoyed because I just thought like the Wii controls were a little frustrating. Right. Um I never finished Super Metroid or the original Metroid. Uh Samus Returns on 3DS. That was like really good, but again, I just I'm not a big 2D fan. I find it like really confusing, and I, I did in, like enjoy the GBA games just because it was one of those like okay, can't get another video game for six months, so better better strap in and get into this. And it's like in hindsight, like yeah, those games are way better than any I, I give them credit for. But it's interesting that like so many first party games are getting so much attention because of how they sort of like break the formula, you know, like with with Legend of Zelda. In particular, uh, Super Mario Odyssey being like this weird amalgamation of all the different 3D explorations with that character. And then like this is getting so much praise for being like the most back to its roots. Like I just right. think that's like kind of fascinating. Uh, Animal Crossing 2 is another game like in that discussion. Yeah. Uh, no, that... It's, it's just funny. Um, it is interesting because it's like, I mean, yeah, there's like a few new power ups here and there, but it's mostly just the same Metroid with like improved gameplay. and. um and, you know, like a little bit more storytelling and stuff like Elijah and I were talking about with the Samus's character. But it's it, it is interesting to, like, think about that and how it's so similar to the old games. But I, I just can't put it down. I mean, I've been playing it nonstop I, and I can't stop thinking about it. Um, I'm definitely going to play it a second time. And honestly, I think what I'm going to do next is go back and play um, the old games. Probably I, I don't think I'll play the original, but I'll probably play Zero Mission and then Samus Returns and obviously Super and Fusion. So um, Other M gets like a lot of flack for like story decisions and like the story decisions are 
weird, but it's also like clearly devised just to influence gameplay. Like, um, like it's like her bumping into like an old commanding officer and like he eventually like gives her permission to use missiles. And like, I totally understand why that's like a knock against the character. Where it's like, Oh, she has to ask for permission to like be herself or whatever. Like I, I totally get that argument, but also at the same time, it's like, it was nice that we didn't just like have her lose all of her powers at the beginning of the game, you know, just like the same way it's always been. Um, so I think other M is actually like worth playing. That was the last Metro game yeah. I can remember buying on launch day. Um, and I, I did actually play other M. Uh, I that, had that one. Yeah. That's one of the ones I have played. That one's and, interesting. Like you play with like a Wii yeah. mode on its side and like it occasionally dips into first person view. But most of the time you just play with like two buttons and the trigger and, and like the D pad. Like it's, it's it's interesting. Uh, I do want to grab this game eventually, but yeah, two D two D Metroid's not not particularly my jam. I Even really want to play. Is very M. much my jam. I, I I have it sitting on the shelf, and it's definitely on my, on my to playlist, especially after this game. It counts as a spooky game, right? I don't know the answer <laughs> to that question, for, dude. For spook, spooktober. Parts spooktober of this streams? game. Parts of this game feel like a spooky game with the uh, freaking Emmys. The Emmys, yeah, yeah. It's insane. And I know, I know it kind of pulls from Fusion a little bit. For those that played Fusion, there was like a similar concept with the SAX, I think they were called. It was like the clones of Samus that were made by the X-Parasite. But And we all know Austin is a sax man. Of course. <laughs> um, so I think the concept was kind of pulled from that because there were a bunch of these like Samus clones that would like hunt her down and you couldn't really fight them back. But um, when you get in the, those moments with the Emmys, which I didn't really realize it worked this way, but you know, you get in these basically zones of the world and like an Emmy is there and it's their zone and they can move around in it. And if you get in there and they start attacking you, you pretty much just have to run. Like you have no other option. You cannot fight them. It's a little alien isolation here, right? Yeah. And it's super tense. Like when you get really close to one and they're, you know, he's like a foot away from you and you're just sliding under things and jumping and like hoping you're like going to, wall jump fast enough to like escape them it's 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 far more intense than i was expecting so that's got to be one of my favorite parts of that game are you guys playing uh mostly handheld or docked how how are we experiencing this one i'm playing entirely handheld i'm playing docked um just because that's normally how i play my switch but i I have played a little bit handheld and it's still i mean it's it's gorgeous on the yeah. yeah On the screen, and supposedly it looks great on the the OLED, but I'm not I hear it looks great it. on PC too. Uh, <laughs> oh, really, George? You want to tell uh, us yeah. about that? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a sec. Uh, I'm dying here with George. Actually, Austin, is that all you've been playing? Yeah, oh, that's it. Okay, I just wanted to be sure we didn't move on without. No. Well, you're forgetting someone on the podcast. All right, George, come on. <laughs> Give us, give us what you've been playing. <laughs> All right. Um, last week I talked about how I just like wasn't really feeling any of the games. I kept like exploring. Um, I actually spent more time with Red Dead Redemption Two, and that game is like an incredible life simulator. But like when that period of life sucks, like I don't know how interesting of a simulator that is. You know. Um, I was just like, make sure to get all the mud off your boots. I'm like, dude, I like, uh, I I don't want to do that. Um. And it's really interesting to me, like that there doesn't seem to be like a uniform control scheme. Like everything is contextual about like 
when you're in front of cabinets, press R1. When you're in front, like out in the wild, like do this. Like it's just like so weird that they the the controls seem like a, a mess in that game. Um, Wait, so it's just like random stuff when you're like interacting? No, it's it's not random. Sorry, but it's just like R1 does certain things out in the wild as opposed to like when you're in a house like looting. Oh, feel. Um, at yeah, least in my experience great. so far. Uh, and I've I've just found that like it's great because it does like the Nintendo thing where it just like shows you what to press to to interact with the objects, but. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's the game for me right now, but I think I might have found the game for me right now. And it is a 2009 PS3 title developed by Pandemic Studios. And it's called The Saboteur. Yo. Isn't that uh, published by EA? It is a published by EA game. So these are the guys who did Mercenaries 1 and 2. They did Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2. And I think the Saboteur was their last game before EA shuttered them because they have a tendency to do that. But man, what a game where I'm just like thinking about this in the greater context of open world games. It is so stylized. This game takes place in Paris during Nazi occupation and the entire game is in black and white. And you need to go through and like liberate areas of Paris. And as you do, like by destroying Nazi structures, by completing missions that like improve morale you bring color back to the city of light, which is Paris. And it is just so jam packed, so crammed with things to do. Cause this was like 2009. It's not exactly the beginning of the generation, but I don't think it was really them sort of finding how much the PlayStation three and the 360 could do quite yet. So like the city itself isn't incredibly big. It isn't incredibly detailed. Um, There's a lot of, uh, just like repetitive textures and repetitive like building design and stuff like that. But man, there's just like Nazi watchtowers everywhere and you just get to sneak into areas and just blow it up. And I think it does a really good job of like addressing the concern of, um of video games where like, you know, with, with Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, there was like this thing called the satanic panic where they thought that like these things were sort of helping people with like, these pagan ritualistic uh, ideologies that like were incongruent with like a Christian value. And like, I feel like a little bit of that was happening with Grand Theft Auto because of like the hot coffee mod. And it was just like, Oh, so you can just go into this game and just start killing cops and having sex with hookers and, and sell drugs. Like, Oh, that's great. That's what, that's exactly what you want your kids to do. But in this game, they took like the authority figures and they made him into Nazis, man. Like, how are you supposed to argue against blowing up Nazi fuel depots? How are you supposed to argue against shooting Nazi generals in the back of the head? Like, oh, man, it's just so much fun to go through. And it's made by the guys who did mercenaries who, you know, they just want you to blow up as much stuff as possible. And there's like an alarm system, not unlike Grand Theft Auto. So like earlier I was playing today and I just like jumped on an AA gun. I blew up a blimp and then all of a sudden like these tanks started coming at me and I just started like dropping grenades from rooftops. And then like, I managed to get away and just like hide in a, (laughs) in like a public urinal. And like, I got away because it's a video game and you can do stuff like that. Um, God, it's so much fun to play this game. It's just really nice playing something with so much like art direction where that's like such an emphasis. And like, I don't mean to dog on, on new games. I know a lot of new games do it, but like when the, the cup you're chasing is realism I think you kind of lose a little bit of artistic expression that I really enjoy. Right. And so just the fact that this thing is so heavily stylized, I like, I can't stop playing it. Um, That's actually been on my list for a while. I've been very curious about 14% platinum rate, uh, the 20 to 35 hours to platinum. 
uh, four out of ten so well. difficulty. Yeah. Yeah, I just looked up some gameplay because I had heard the name before, and I didn't really know what it was. And yeah, you're right. I mean, the style of it's pretty interesting. The the whole black and white and like gaining back color. That's like a a really interesting concept for a game like that. Especially, I don't know, because like they had made like the the mercenary games, but like I don't know. I feel like their bread and butter was like multiplayer shooters, you know? Right. Because like, I'm pretty sure even mercenaries you could do like online stuff. Like mercenaries so. two wasn't an incredibly successful game, but like I don't know, like the original Battlefront, Battlefront two, kind of like made Xbox Live back in the day. Um, right. Uh, it's such a shame what happened to that studio. I think they were like on the cusp of like really clicking with something. And like, man, I would love for this game to be remastered. It's never going to be. Uh, I doubt it's ever going to be made available like backwards compatible on Xbox One or Series X. But like, this is a game that, man, I love trophies. But if they were to release it on Series X just with like with improved performance, I would absolutely play it there. That'd be fantastic because it's just it's a little stuttery and there's a lot of texture pop in just because it was 2009 you know, running on a uh, unfamiliar hardware for a lot of devs, but man, what a game. While, while we're at it, I forgot to add Alan Wake is a four out of 10 difficulty, two playthroughs in 25 hours. No, oh, that's pretty good. Here's the thing though. That's for the main game. And then there's DLC and each of the DLCs is pretty easy, but requires two playthroughs and it takes about three to four hours. Is there a difficulty? There are. <sighs> Okay. No, no difficulty. That's why it requires two playthroughs. No difficulty for uh, saboteurs. So I'm actually just going through on casual right now because I've got my PlayStation Three set up to my my work monitor. I've got a like dual monitor set up, and there's no sound. So like I had to dig out my PlayStation Three headset. With, uh, oh my god! Nice little ret- I've not seen one of those in years. Um, and like plug in like a USB dongle so that I could hear it. Um. So half the time I actually just play the game like muted. And that's when I decide to like go through and just do there's like 10 things called perks, which every time you unlock one, you you get like a bonus. Like you can hold more pistol ammo. You can have like more powerful explosives, but they're all tied to trophies also. So like I'll do like the story missions and be like, OK, I want to progress. I want to hear what this character has to say. And then I'll plug my headset in. And then there are other times where I'm like, OK, I need to blow up 10 towers to advance to demolitions perk two. Like, all right, cool. I'm just going to just gonna do that right now and just mess around and it's weird playing a game for fun it's nice not playing yeah. it feel zeitgeisty which is how i play a lot of games and I, I don't really care for that i'm trying to change that in my behavior yeah i uh started doing that with ghost of tsushima back when i was playing that for the platinum is half the time i would play it, it would just be muted and i'd have like league on or something and was watching that and just going through ghost of tsushima muted just Oh, I need to find all this stuff. All right, let me go see what all these checkpoints are. Mm-hmm. So it, it is fun. Very fun. All right. Well, that, I guess, does it for games we've been playing this past week. We wanted to move into a few topics for you this week. We, we, we have a lot to complain about, which is why we record this show. Right, guys? Just to Qu- complain. Quick side note. I don't do this often. There's <laughs> something I'm not going to complain about. The original Corpse Party is coming west on the 20th. And it's only twenty dollars. Oh my which I god! I didn't know. And it's ten percent wow. off for the first week everywhere. Something I'm not going to complain about is when that game finally comes out. I think we're going to hear a little bit less about Corpse Party from certain people on this podcast. Less. Elijah, I was going to say, aren't we going to hear more? <laughs> it's probably once he's point. playing it. <laughs> I literally found out it was twenty dollars like three minutes ago, 
And while George was talking about Saboteur, I was going, can I pre-order off on PSN yet? No, not yet. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, we, we have some stuff we want to complain about. First off, George, you alluded to it earlier. This has been a big topic this past week. Tell us about what's going on with, with Metroid and, and emulation in general. All right. So, to the best of my understanding, Kotaku published an article that used video footage of Metroid uh, Dread running on a PC emulator. And it was Kotaku's <laughs> infinite judgment to say that this was hands down the best possible way to experience this game. And it said that, like, the the future of like Nintendo Switch uh, emulation is is looking bright because of how well this emulator is running, and they published that expecting no backlash. Um. So because of that, I we decided as a group that we would each like tackle different topics. I decided to look into the legality of of game emulation. One, I personally have no issue with someone who emulates games especially if they own that game outright. Um, but man, to do it two days after it launches, like the, the, what am I trying to say? What can I say appropriately? Like just the chutzpah <laughs> on this person to, to go audacity. out of their way to do that. That's a good word. Audacity. It is, but I kind of like chutzpah more. The chutzpah. Uh, sorry, the pair of huevos on that guy to, uh, to go through and publish that article. Uh, that article has since been changed and edited and taken down. The video itself was a uh, copyright <laughs> strike by uh, by Nintendo. Which uh, so, so I decided to just look into the legality of this. I found some interesting articles. I actually looked up the copyright law section of uh, the Copyright Act. Um, of the Fair Use section, pardon me, of the Copyright Act. So let's, let's just jump into it, guys. Let's have a little, a little talk. Uh, so the article I'm primarily referencing is called Is Downloading Retro Video Game ROMs Ever Legal? It is published on How to Geek. It was written by Justin Pott, and it was last updated December 23rd, 2020, so relatively recent. And um, they consulted with a University of Arizona College of Law professor um, named Derek E. Bombauer. He teaches internet law and intellectual property. And so the way they describe it is that like emulators themselves are mostly legal because they're just software or, or like hardware that's like pretending to be other hardware, basically, like just like a function that's copying another function's uh, in, intent. Uh, the only emulators that are technically illegal are those that require BIOS files to run. BIOS are basic input output system. And that is a command that's like usually stored on the memory chip of a motherboard. And it's all proprietary stuff where like it is the first thing, the first piece of software that runs. And so like it usually just tells a system or device to boot up and it like connects controls. So like a keyboard or uh, like a, a game controller. Um, and because of that, uh, emulators are mostly legal and they're also mostly useless without ROM. So it's kind of like, it's not illegal for a kid to smoke a cigarette, but it's illegal for him to buy one, you know? And so it's like, you're, you, know, you can't like really arrest a kid for having lighters, even if they are for, or like rolling papers, even if they are for, you know, like nefarious purposes. Um, and so emulators are useful, sorry, useless without the ROM files. Now ROMs are read only memory. So it's just like a, an executed program, basically. Uh, you can't really edit it. You can only access it. 
Uh, and since copyright laws in the United States are good for up to 75 years, it's going to take a long time for the copyright protection of any of them to to wear off and enter the public domain. And so that leads us to the next question. We know emulators are mostly legal. Are ROMs legal? Yes and no. Again, it's another gray area. Uh, so like, let's just talk about precedent, right? Downloading something you don't own is illegal. You wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't download a car. Why would you download a movie? As we all <laughs> remember from those famous god awful ads that I love so much. You're going to prison for saying that, George. <laughs> Probably. I, I just saw one of those ads. I don't remember what movie it was. I ha- I watched something on VHS and that played, and my mind was just, this is history. Uh, what year is this? Um, so if you own a copy of the game already, owning a ROM of it might be covered by fair use. And fair use is a legal doctrine. This is from uh, Section 107 of the Copyright Act. It is a legal doctrine that promotes freedom of expression by permitting the unlicensed use of copyright-protected works in certain circumstances. It provides the statutory framework for determining whether something is a fair use and identifies certain types of uses, such as criticism, comment, news, reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research as examples of activities that may qualify as fair use. So, I really feel like if this article had gone out of its way to compare the basic like PC specs to a switch and talk about the emulation probably would have been fine. But because they were just being like about it and basically just flaunting that, like they already got it running. I think that was a bigger issue, but there's four factors that come to evaluating fair use. First one, purpose and character of fair use. Uh, and that is includes whether the, uh, the use is of commercial nature or for nonprofit educational purposes. This is super tough because Kotaku makes money off ads. Um, Second uh, factor in evaluating fair use is the nature of the copyrighted work uh, and analyzes the degree to which that work uh, was used relates to copyright's purpose of encouraging creative expression. Um, That one's like a little tougher of a a nut to crack, but I think what it's basically saying is what does what you're doing have in relation to the thing that already exists? See, the amount and substantiality of the portion used, this is just like how much of the material is used in what you're doing. And in video games, it's like, well, you want the entire game. So you're not just yeah. like being part of it. Uh, some people might for like, a, I don't know, like this comes up with like samples and songs and stuff. So like since there hasn't been a lot of video game stuff to go to court, most of the examples are sort of compared to other mediums where like it has existed. And that's how the law works, where like you set legal precedents with certain things. Um I'm going to finish this up pretty soon uh, with reading what I think is a pretty substantial quote from this, uh, this lawyer Uh, quote. If I own a copy of super Mario world, I can play it whenever I want. He notes, but what I'd really like to do is play it on my phone or my laptop. In this case, downloading a ROM could be legally defensible. You're not giving the game to anybody else. You're just playing a game you already own on your phone. The argument would be, there's no market harm here. Um, and it's not substituting for a purchase. And that is the fourth and final factor, which is what is the effect of this upon the potential market uh, for any value of the copyrighted work? And so because of this, I feel like it's super tricky because them even talking about a Metroid ROM and like emulator, if there's an emulator on PC that negatively impacts the sales of switches. Mm-hmm. And if there's an ability to play a ROM there's probably a supply of this ROM out there, which would cause them uh, harm of game sales. Right. 
Oh, and so like this argument has existed forever. Like the MPAA has had more luck going after big sites that offer uh, like movies um, than the people who download the movies because there's probably more money in the people who are offering them for free just from like, you know, click through rate advertising stuff mm-hmm. than there are for the people who literally can't even afford to watch a movie. So they're downloading it illegally. <sighs> and so arguing that downloading a game uh, a ROM, sorry, pardon me, a, a ROM to a game that is no longer available isn't like an airtight case either because there's no reason that the people who own like the copyright to the game, like let's say uh, the saboteur, can't buy it on PSN anymore, can't buy it on Xbox Live. What's the harm in downloading the ROM? There's nothing to prevent EA from saying that they're doing what Disney does with its movies and putting it in the vault to drive up demand and whittle down supply so that they can then come in and have a good day at the market when they actually make the game available. So that this is, is like, the, like this, that's like the legality of, of whether or not you downloading ROMs. I think for the most part, you're fine. Uh, just don't start a website where you distribute them for free. <laughs> like you should be pretty good, <laughs> but man, the gall, that was the word I was looking for. It rhymes with the word I was trying really hard not to say the gall of Kotaku. Did this piss you guys off for them to just talk about emulating a game two days out after all most publishers, or sorry, like most news outlets do, is complain about how long it's been since the last game in this franchise we've gotten? Oh, yeah. I I won't say it pissed me off, but because, like, I wasn't mad about it. I was more like, where did they get the nerve to do this? Like, I was more almost shocked. And I don't even know exactly what I want to call the emotion. Like he's like, I wasn't mad about it. I was more just, why would you do this? Yeah. Like what? Well, it's just astounding to me because I, I, I mean, even in the article, they say something to the effect of thank God for pirates or, or, Thankfully, we have pirates or something like that. that that's like a, a yeah. quote in that article. And that is what bothered me more so than like the actual emulation yes. itself. Because yeah. that's the problem I have is like, okay, I, I know what we've just, just discussed is very tricky. But obviously, like if I have a copy of Metroid Dread, am I opposed to emulating Metroid Dread when I already bought it? I don't know. I mean, not necessarily because I've I've purchased my copy of the game, but yeah. Um, so I I didn't really have a problem with that. The problem is in their article they 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 literally were like, "Yeah, awesome, we love pirates." It it also <laughs> comes down to the meaning behind it. Be like, there is one way I would say, "Thank God for pirates," and that is game preservation. Yes, <laughs> that is when they board a British ship. <laughs> and they and Jack Sparrow finally gets the HMS Black Pearl back. <laughs> then it's just That's a great fine. day for pirates and for everyone. But like when it comes to game preservation and when the PS3 and Vita were originally going offline, you know, losing all of those games that only ever released on digital storefronts on like PS3. I actually, you know, a lot of PS3 exclusives even that only ever released digitally. We're just going to be gone. Yeah, where am I supposed to get my Tokyo Jungle now? There's a disc 
base version with it. How much does that disc cost? I don't remember. It's not that expensive. I'm pretty or, sure it's pretty okay. Expensive. It was okay. If it's the one I'm thinking of, it was, and then it went down. Uh, but like when it comes to that, I was more than okay with people like I I don't want to say pirating the games, but preserving the games. Like it came down to game preservation because what was it? Was it Final Fantasy Eight? The original files for that game went missing and they were gone. Like they were, they were just gone. Uh, Commander Keen, which originally came out on MS DOS computers, that was another one. The files were gone. That game just stopped existing. Like you, there was literally no way to get that game. Right. Like the files didn't exist in space and yeah. time anymore. And like that, that's a problem. And the the further we get into like digital only stuff, the more of a chance that has of just stuff not existing anymore so people copying a game and setting on a server for 50 years and it's like you literally can't get this game oh there was backups i'm more okay with that than this game came out two days ago and uh yeah we had someone copy it for us no that's not cool yeah i mean that's the thing i think at the end of the day is like if the game is still readily available and like purchasable when that money still goes to the original manufacturer mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Um, I, I don't think it's okay to emulate a game in that case. I think that's, a it's also ridiculous. unless again, unless you already own it. I mean, that's like yeah. a gray area, I guess. I think it's, I think it's about to get a lot more complicated. Cause like you guys look at like the, how the yeah. collectible market has really sort of had a, I don't even want to say a resurgence, but just like this sort of like astronomical takeoff during the pandemic. And granted, like a lot of that was just people at home. People were being bored. People not spending money on vacations because they couldn't travel. They couldn't go out. Like all, whatever the reason was, like the secondary market just exploded. And so all of a sudden, like, are these, you know, are, are these like little knickknacks that you're buying for, you know, nostalgia's sake? Or are these like investments? Like, is this any different than like buying a sh- like a, a stock you know and so it's just like the way physical games are now sort of like treated as as like these commodities that they weren't 10 years ago you know like they were just like 99 cents at at GameStop where like is there a duty for these companies to not release them digitally because that would just like crush the market you know and so I like I don't really know what the answer is like Wizards of the Coast doesn't reprint magic cards from certain sets because when they did reprint them initially like that cratered the, the the market and like all the value of those cards shot like just went through the floor and so they they promised this thing called the reserve list where they would never print uh cards up through a certain set and like now the reserve list is like single-handedly like i think destroying magic because like there's all these cards that people want to play with but like can't afford them like how much did black lotus sell for two hundred fifty thousand dollars like Okay, yeah, people are just gonna spend that so they can have one of them in their deck for sure. Um, and so it's like these games, like, is there, like, I, I think if there's a demand, if there's a duty for these companies to release these games digitally, but like with the secondary market, like, behaving the way it is, like, that's that's a lot of volatility that like these companies have the power to to introduce. So, like, I again, like, I don't know what the right answer is. I want cheaper games, I want the games I used to play available. I, I see no reason why they aren't, you know, like. All those Nintendo uh, Game Boy Advance games on Wii U, 
and like DS games. Like, why the hell right. aren't those available on Switch? Why can't we play no. Samus Returns on Switch? There's no good reason. Well, that's like a good a good point because like even me, you know, I can play, and I've been thinking about this. Like, how am I going to play Zero Mission and Fusion Metroid? Um, because those cartridges, the GBA cartridges, are like a hundred bucks at least now for both of them. And um, the only recent way that you can purchase those games is on the Wii U. And it's like, it's, you know, it's just a, it's an interesting kind of dilemma to think about like how, (laughs) where's the line? Like as far as these games that are not really readily purchasable anymore. Um, It's just a, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. That's all I can really say. I'm not for or against emulation. Let me let me disclaim that. But um, it's all kind of an interesting gray area that I think we're going to have to start figuring it out. At, you know, at some point in the coming years. I mean, we think 30 years in the future from now, and you know, our old ROMs like going to be a problem. Like, are we going to struggle to find a lot of these games? That'll be an interesting thing to to kind of figure out. So you brought up uh, Metroid Fusion and it was Fusion and Zero Mission, right? Fusion, just the cartridge goes for about 80 and just the cartridge for Zero Mission goes for about 90. If you want those complete, you're looking at Fusion goes for 190 and Zero Mission goes for 265. Right. Honestly, I think it'd be a lot more because the Game Boy Advance games were still coming in like cardboard boxes. So, like, the likelihood of one of those surviving, I think, would be worth way more than, than 190. That's uh, that's low, Austin. You should get it on the ground floor while you can. Um, yeah. And, uh, George, to answer your question earlier, yes, Best of PSN Volume 1 had uh, Tokyo Jungle, Fat Princess, When Vikings Attack, and Sound Shapes. And it goes for... What was it sixty two dollars or something like that? Sixty seven. Oh man, it shot up. It was so much. It was so much more than that when like, it the did. PSN was yeah. When it was being announced, uh, it shot up to about one hundred and thirty to one hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, but it's like also like all those games are worth like. I'm sorry, like less than five dollars now. Like if honestly, if they were available on PS4, I would pay full price still for Tokyo Jungle right now. You know, like if they were available on PS4, they'd be available on PS5. Like yeah, that's worth fourteen ninety nine to me. But like, it's not worth, it's not worth the price of the disc. Like, it's just like, uh, it's, it's so bizarre what they choose to, to make available and what they don't. Anyways, that's one of my grievances. We're celebrating Festivus a little bit early. We'll have another Festivus episode <laughs> closer towards the holidays. Elijah, I want to, I want to jump to yours next. Cause yours is, is also very interesting. So it comes and goes like the tide. Occasionally it'll be low tide. And then all of a sudden, it's back to difficulty in games. The, the new one that spurred this on, Kana, Bridge of Spirits. Oh, really? I thought for sure it was going to be Metroid. When you guys... Oh, man, that's really interesting. I didn't know that this game was the, the impetus. So, Metroid was what kind of tipped it over the dam and had it start spewing out all over the place again. Kana is what raised the waters. So there's this big thing now, well, I shouldn't say now, but again, with should all games have difficulty levels? And 
while I'm not against it, I will say some games, their difficulty is very much just based on, like, okay, for example, specifically the Souls series. Those games are more of a rhythm game. Because once you get in rhythm with it, that game, those games are not that hard. So while it, they could have a difficulty level, those games are just, their difficulty is just based on learning the game. That's it. There's no, this creature would have less of a health bar or anything like that. Like, that's not how those kind of games work. So, I don't know. I, w- I want to get your guys' take on should all games have difficulty level? So, here's the thing for me. This is where my mind goes with this conversation. Um, I'm not really bothered personally mm-hmm. by difficulty levels. Like, I, I you know, play Bloodborne and uh, Metroid. I've died literally like 250,000 times in already. Like, that game is very, very hard. Also, I'll just say, um, and I didn't yet, but like, if the Souls games were to have difficulty levels, it wouldn't upset me or anything. I'm just going right. off like, like you said, personally, it doesn't bother me. Right. But I get it. It doesn't bother me. I've never run into a situation really, aside from like old like NES games where like I've struggled to complete a game because of the difficulty. Um, however, my mind with difficulty levels, and I know this is a slightly different conversation and there's a little bit more nuance to it, it immediately goes to accessibility yeah, or, you know, those who are disabled or, you know, those that, that play their games differently, um, you know, because of who they are. And, um, I know Steve Saylor is, has kind of blown up over the past couple of years as, as, um, somebody in that community. And he's talked before about how I'm pretty sure specifically the souls games that he just can't play them. Like it, it's just impossible for him to play, and so on that front, yes, I I think every single game needs to have, um, difficulty options. And again, I know that's a little bit different because I know that at the same time they also need accessibility options as well. Aside from, you know, just the difficulty, right? But I think on that same level, I, no, I I one hundred percent think that every single game needs to have. Um, I think one thing that has graded my gears more this time around is graded your gears. It grinds (laughs) your gears, my guy. And one thing that's graded like a cheese, like a a cheese grater. (laughs) My gears are strange. Okay, (laughs) I got the cheese gears. (laughs) I'm seeing much more of like people and Twitter making everybody just sitting behind their computer think they're invincible, like attacking developers who don't put difficulty options like yeah put a difficulty option in every game i am not against that one bit what i'm also not against if this developer if this is how they want to do their game then so be it like okay metroid dread if the developer wanted to make it third person instead would we all just sit back and be like, this isn't, this isn't the third person side scrolling Metroid. No, because that's how they decided to make their game. 
So like while I think, yeah, let all games have difficulty options. If the developer chooses not to, we have to be like, okay, that was their decision. And that's one thing I'm seeing a lot of is, oh, that was their decision. Now let's make them change it. Like that that's not the horse I would want to ride in on. I think it's strange how bent out of shape people get about this when they refuse to, I guess, contextualize it in other pieces of art. Like, video games are the only piece of art where they literally make it more difficult for you to consume. You know, where they're like, yeah, there's a beginning, middle, end, there's character growth, there's all these cool things, but uh, if you're not good enough, you don't get to enjoy them. I'm just like, that just like blows my mind. Like I have no problem with difficult games. I like playing difficult games. Sometimes I also play a majority of my games on easy now because I don't have time to like play a lot of games. And also it's like, it's one of those things where like, okay, I understand what you're trying to do. I know exactly how difficult it is. I'm going to drop this down to easy. Like when you're, when I was like fighting in the, in Assassin's Creed, like against like the mythical beast or whatever, like those boss fights would take an hour and a half if you played them on normal. I'm like, nope, I'm not doing this. And I know that because it took 45 minutes to do it on easy. So I'm like, you know what? I, I get it. I understand what you're trying to do. Uh, but I'm just trying to imagine, like, w- like, what's the equivalent of, like, making other pieces of art more difficult? Where it's like, okay, here's a picture of the Mona Lisa, but we're going to put it in, like, a really, really dark room uh, with <laughs> with techno music going off the entire time. So, like, you can't actually focus on the painting. <laughs> or, like, we're going to give you a book, but uh, every page is in a different language because it needs to be harder for you to like comprehend what happens in like weathering heights. Like, it's just like such a bizarre. Here's, here's the thing. brand like, new star like, Wars only available on beta max. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, that's like more like exclusive games, which like a different issue, for a different <laughs> day. but like, it's just, it's so bizarre that like, we just so readily accept this as the only way to do things without giving it like a second thought, you know, with, with, with anything else. It's like, can you imagine like a book where they just like change the main character's name every other page and you just have to like keep up with that? Like that's, it's oh my just God. Ins- it's just insane. Good luck keeping up with this story. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> I don't know, like the equivalent of like trying to read a book, but like you can only read it outside and then it starts to rain every 30 seconds. Like I'm just like, I'm just trying to think of like, <laughs> was the what book would created actually... by Kojima for the Game Boy Advance? <laughs> the the like book catches album. fire if you read it for too long or something. Well, it's like, how good would Busta Rhymes be like if anyone could sing his songs? You know, <laughs> like, like that, that's like an argument for difficulty in games. Like, it's just like it, it's such like a weird way to frame the consumption of enjoying art. Yeah. And, uh, make all your games easy. Who gives it like if the worst thing to happen to you today is that like a game is too easy, like fuck. <laughs> congratulations on having the greatest day in the history of days you yeah douchebag no and i don't disagree with you elijah that i mean each game if the developer wants to make it that way that's how they make it um you know nothing's gonna stop them it's just i i I still i still stand by my statement that i think every game should have a difficulty um option and 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 I, I i agree they should yeah i agree my my problem is and i agree with you that it's a little ridiculous when people are like super Bent. frustrated or, or angry at the, the devs for not doing it. I mean, 
if they don't do it, they don't do it. That's yeah, the it's, reality. It's their choice. It right. It, it's not like that. It's it's like a matter of resources. Where it's like, how many right. people work there? How much time do they have before the game releases? Okay, do we want to commit to one vision or do we want to accommodate as many people as possible? And it's like, I'm sorry that your personal experience can't be accommodated in this. Like that. Right. Like I I get it. Like this thing you're excited for, you feel left out. That sucks. Like I I get that. I'm not talking about anything but like accessibility. Like accessibility, obviously, like. There right. should be more options for that, more or accommodating like play styles for for people. But like at the same time, it's like, oh man, we would love to. We just did not have the money to do this. I bet right. that's the answer nine out of ten times. We did not have mm-hmm. the money. We did not have the time. Right. Yep. All right. Well, I want to end off on on one more airing of said grievances. Yeah, buddy. Um, this one's fascinating to me because that's a word. First off, neither of you had heard about this beforehand, so this is going to be an interesting conversation. Um, but obviously, you know, over the past, I guess it's been almost a year now that the PS5 and Series X have been out. They yep. pretty much have been unavailable anywhere, unless you're really lucky, you know, see them the second they go up on, you know, whoever you follow on Twitter, Wario64 posts about it. Or To my knowledge, they still haven't been made available in stores ever, right? Like, there's, like, there's never been, like, occasionally on the shelf. Okay. Occasionally. Yeah. So most of the time, it's not that they're on the shelf, but it's because they say, hey, we're getting some in the store and they fly out of there before they can even put them on the shelf. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. They're, yeah. They're yeah. getting them in stores. It's still not super common, but. Yeah. And like I, I did get my Series X in store, yeah. but that was a situation where they were like, GameStops are getting them on this day. Yep. Go line up for it. And so that that's a little different, obviously, than like random shipments to the store where you walk in and oh look there's a ps5 sitting there anyway this is way off track my my point is um they've been really hard to find clearly and they still are um pretty much just as hard to find as they were a year ago and so now this is more so a a company-wide thing that's happening but it is affecting the ps5 at least we know that best buy has just launched a new kind of subscription program it's called Best Buy Total Tech. It costs, <laughs> yeah, great name. That it name. costs two hundred dollars a year, which is a little pricey, and um, it comes with a, a variety of things that I would say are not really that great. It, it comes with free Geek Squad support for a year. It comes with um, up to twenty four months of of product protection. I mean that that's relatively decent, I guess. Uh, you get free delivery and standard installation, I guess, on like big items like a TV or or refrigerator or whatever it may be. Hey, man, th- do not knock like the appliance delivery. That's no, that's not a bad one. So expensive. Right. Uh, yeah. You get free two day shipping again. Not too bad. And then you get 60 day return and exchange window. The The big thing, though, is this. First off, there's a there's a selection on the website here on Best Buy's website that says access to exclusive total member price or total tech member prices. Um, and then something that, that kind of reared its head on Monday. So yesterday um, is not even listed on here, but basically a PS five that they had a, a shipment of PS fives on bestbuy.com and they were available. And when you went to that page, it would show up and say that total tech would include the season's hardest to find products including in this situation the ps5 and so what happened on monday is the ps5 was available on bestbuy.com for 90 minutes 
Like you could just buy a PS5 for 90 minutes. It was in stock for 90 minutes, which is unheard of because you had to have this $200 total tech subscription that they just launched last week in order to buy one. And um, I just thought that this was like an interesting kind of story that that happened last week. But um, I'm curious if this is going to affect the Series X and Series S as well. You know, they again, they said it'll give you exclusive access to the season's hardest to find products. So I'm imagining that this is going to be more than just the PS5. I would bet that maybe the Switch OLED comes into play. Yeah, probably. Um, it's just a it's a crazy situation that they're now in. Um, and again, I know it's not just that they're like, hey, pay $200 and then you can buy a PS5. I know that there's like more to this subscription. But to me, it almost seems like they're like, yeah, we know that people are selling PS5s for $800 online. Why not give us $700? Yeah. So like, I just thought i'd bring this up because it's it's interesting and and horrifying at the same time like i get i get what the point is right but the problem is they're going about it so incredibly wrong it's like gamestop does a similar thing but you just have to be a pro member it's twenty dollars a year you get a magazine you get five dollars if you shop at gamestop you have you have pro right yeah it's worth it so like I, that one makes so much more sense. It's not like they're saying the elite few. It's just like, if you are a regular at GameStop, you get first dibs, which makes sense because you're there buying video games. Right. But this is asking to pay an exorbitant, exuberant price for something you're probably not going to use any of the other benefits for. Right. George, how do you feel about this? I know, like I said, this was your first time kind of hearing about it. What's your reaction to that? I mean, I think it's a move to like lock up like a PlayStation 5 purchase or a, an Xbox purchase, but no one's listening this late, Austin. Don't worry about marking the time. No, I already did. Move. It's too late. Okay. Um, to <laughs> lock it up. I will say, I don't think that this program is like a bad program. <laughs> like we were talking about it before we recorded if you're a small business in like kind of like a tech desert area that like has remote access to uh or sorry, not remote access, but like even remotely close access to a Best Buy, 200 bucks a year for tech support is pretty awesome. Um that's really good. Two-day free shipping, like I looked it up, like I don't know, like you can only buy can't you only buy Xboxes and Playstations from Costco if you have a membership? That's 60 bucks. You know, like, I think that it's infuriating to to lock it behind this deal, but I don't want to bash the deal because like Gamers Club Unlocked was originally 50 bucks a year, right? Like they were selling it uh, for $100 for two years. So like if there was a if there was a GCU portion to this, a Gamers Club Unlocked where it was like, oh, and new games are 20 percent off the first week they're out. You know, like if there was something like that baked into this. I think that would go like a long way to be like, okay, this is a bonus to our, our, our gamers or whatever, you know, like something like that. But the fact that it just seems tacked on just like a random tax for people who are already probably going out of their way to buy an expensive item. Ah, man feels bad. feels real bad. (laughs) And like you said, yeah, it, it sounds like great for small businesses or anybody buying big appliances, but like, right. 
I, I can't think of the last small business that was like, I think we need a PS5 for in the store. Yeah. I, if, if you're buying a washer and dryer, it might be cheaper to buy this than to get yes. the shipping cost for a washer and dryer. Like, just Absolutely. like, just to put this in context of like the value that this thing is offering, again, move for the PlayStation, but everything else, I'm like, okay, no, they're like, this program sounds great, actually. <laughs> oh, you, you, you guys are buying a fridge? We'll let you have first dibs at a PS5. <laughs> I, I think what I'm hearing is that this program and the PS5 have two very different audiences, which is yes. maybe why I'm so frustrated about it. And I couldn't necessarily put that into words, but I mean, kind of looking at the the stuff that's included in this, I mean, for a gamer or for somebody that's just bought a PS5, this is like, for the most part, I would say like nothing that you would really want. And um, it's like, all right, spend the $200 and you have a shot at getting our next shipment. Right. Like, Granted, they were up for 90 minutes this time. But who's to say the next shipment isn't like one fifth of the amount. Right. So I don't disagree with you, George, though, that the you know, if you're in that audience, if you're somebody who's. I don't know if you've just bought a house and mm -hmm. like you're getting a ton of um appliances delivered i mean certainly i think that's like yeah. a, a good, wish i knew this was really a, thing, a good subscription know, like six yeah. months ago that'd be tight um i will say uh marketing can really like change this too where like i don't know i've worked at companies where like they had money to throw around and they're like okay we're doing this but it's failing how do we make this fail less and it's just one of those things where it's like okay if you're a member for this you actually get a hundred dollars off a of playstation but you have to be a member to do it so it's like all right so then really it is just like hundred dollar fee to buy a PlayStation. Do this and you'll get a free game. Like there's just like so many ridiculous ways that like they could twist this and like come out ahead and start looking like good guys. I, I mean I I doubt they're going to because again this seems like a great deal. Um but man it's just I don't know like how much do other subscriptions cost? Like I don't know Marvel Unlimited 70 bucks a year, you know uh Amazon Prime is like 120 bucks a year. Right? And like, yeah, so. like you get different services with that than than you do with with this and so like for me it's not a case of the money it is a case i think austin i think you're right like i think yeah. it is just two different audiences that, yeah like, and that's just it ham fist together like although if they, if they had the gamers clubs like you know something like that like if they had something that fit the audience of what this is give me something 200 dollars that fits that audience okay i get it i get it i will say when i was trying to buy an xbox series x and it was reserved for game stop pro members only i bought a gamestop pro membership being like all right fine 15 bucks to to get uh or whatever it is 20 bucks to get uh, an xbox series x sign me the hell up turns out you can't do it the same day you activate your pro membership like it like it was just like oh so inf infuriating <laughs> so like i just sat there and i like si signed up i just like spent 25 bucks on gamestop without getting anything but it's okay because a month and a half later i got my game informer issue yeah i'm thinking about reading it soon <laughs> but oh my god, that was just so infuriating that like I bought it there so I could get a series. I eventually got one through the Microsoft right. store. But ugh, ugh. all I know is I'm glad I got my PS5 at Best Buy when I did because that's yeah. where I got mine. Did it online. And it was a very simple process, and I was able to buy it because I did oh. not purchase it. Yeah, if, don't, please don't. Pl if if you made it this far, thank you. You're a saint. But please don't do this just to get a next generation console because like there are so many places. Like I managed to get a bundle. For about seven hundred dollars, I came with an extra controller. Came with a year of PSN or PS Plus, excuse me. Came with two games. You like there, like there's better ways to spend seven hundred dollars on PlayStation stuff than just getting a simple PlayStation. Right. Also, you're, I still don't think you're missing anything on PlayStation Five. Yeah. 
I don't think anyone really needs a next gen system still, honestly. No, and that's just no. it. Next gen systems are just very convenient. That's it. That's it. Right. Yeah. yeah. There I are, mean, that was the thing for me. There are very few exclusives. Granted, my game of the year right now is a next gen exclusive. But <laughs> besides that, like, j- there are very few exclusives. And, you know, they're good, the exclusives, but they're not like, man, I need this game. Right. Yeah. So no one needs a PlayStation Five right now. They yeah. need a PC so they can play the hot new Nintendo game Metroid Dread. Like that's <laughs> all anyone needs. And or, you can play you know, the original Metroid on, on your PC. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you can play Xbox games on it. All right, guys. Well, we will wrap it up there. So thank you all for listening to our complaints and and fun topics that we had for you this week. Um, if you have any questions for us, of course, you can always send them to us on social media let us know your thoughts on metroid let us know your thoughts on what we talked about tonight we'd love to to get your your opinion so you can find us of course pretty much everywhere at frame skip pod that's also coach's twitter handle because he is frame skip pod one and the same uh george you are at purple bird 616 on twitter elijah is at loco lizard man and i am at austin j eller you can also find me on Twitch at Local Lizard Man. There we go. We never promote your Twitch. That's a good thing to I'm start streaming, promoting. I'm streaming like spoopy-ish games all month. Not entirely spoopy. Be yeah. Doing some control this weekend. But Back for Blood, Condemned Criminal Origins, and maybe some uh, Fatal Frame 5. Nice. And yeah, Elijah streams very frequently. So, so Every Friday, Saturday, Twitch. and Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. There you go. So thank you all for listening. Go follow Elijah on Twitch and we will catch you next week. See ya. Bye. Smooch.